We are embarking on a new year. I thought and prayed to the Lord, said, what, what would be helpful to us as a church family, helpful to me? I thought that God would just have us for these next several weeks think about some of the foundations of our faith. You know, the Bible is filled with truth, isn't it? It's filled with many truths, and uh, they're all important, but there are some truths that are a lot more important than others, in a sense, as far as how vital they are. For instance, there's a, a chapter in Acts which speaks of a meeting that the early church leaders had, and it was to discuss Gentile believers coming into the faith, and that was an important thing, and it's important for us to know. But then there's verses like, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. You know what I mean? There's, it's all vital. It's all truth, but some of it's more vital. So we're going to start to work through some of those truths, and that will coincide with some of the core values of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And one of those core values in the Alliance is prayer is the primary work of God's people. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. So I want to talk today about the foundation of prayer. But listen, I want to set your mind at ease. It is not my intent to lay any guilt trips on any of you, shame any of you. Uh, it's just a, a known fact, whether it be a preacher, a church member, anyone, we could all and should, we should all pray more, right? So I'm not here to shame you about that. But I want to encourage all of us. I, I hope today will be motivational to you. I hope it'll be something that stirs something in you to spend more time in prayer, to seek God in prayer. I want to start by saying the foundation of prayer is all throughout the Bible, and I want to take you on a quick journey and just show you that. Starting with the book of Genesis, there's this chapter, uh, verse stuck in chapter 4 that says, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Okay, this is before the flood, before Abraham, before Moses, there's no law. Uh, Cain had just killed Abel not too long ago. Uh, Adam and Eve have another son and named him Seth. And Seth has a son. His name is Enosh. And then it, this verse is stuck in there. But amidst all the kind of chaos that's going on and people going the wrong way after the fall, the flood is looming. There's a group of people, just a remnant, that began to call on the name of the Lord. That phrase just has been ringing in my, what is that? Call on him, turn to him, worship him, seek him. That's kind of what the heart of prayer is. Fast forward to the time of Abraham. Abram is called to leave his home, his family, his people, their religion, their gods. And God makes promises, says, go to this land that I show you and I will make you into a great nation. And through your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He goes and he arrives there. And God once again reiterates that promise to him. And it says, this is how Abraham responded. Abraham built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Fast forward to the time after the Exodus. Moses, the deliverer, delivers the people from their bondage in Egypt. And he's getting ready for them to go into the promised land, this land that God had promised to Abraham so many years earlier. And he says this to the people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? What, what kind of God? And the answer, of course, is there is no other God. There is no other nation that has any kind of so-called God that when we call out to him, he draws near to us. Th listen, would you be encouraged 
that any time you call out to God, the living God of the universe wants to draw near to you. That's a promise reiterated in the New Testament. James says the promise remains, draw near to God and God, and he will draw near to you. There's one of the most moving stories in the Bible, uh, prayers, I should say, in the Bible, is by a woman named Hannah. This is after the, the period of the judges now. And the people are in the land, but there's dark times and the judges come. But at the end of that time, Hannah begins to pour out her heart to God. It says in the scripture, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Hannah's distress came as a result of her inability to have children. And listen, look at the prayer. Look at the emotion in her prayer. It says, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, who was the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her verse, voice was not heard. Have you ever been that desperate? And she's there going, oh God. Her soul is just engaged with God and say, God, this is so painful. Come and help me. Eli thinks she's drunk. And he says, put your wine away from you. How long will you keep drinking? And what are you doing coming to the tabernacle and drinking like this? But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Prayer is the vehicle to pour out your soul before the living God. That's what he's given. You know, some people turn to alcohol and drink. Or drugs or something. But God says, pour out your heart to me. Come to me. I get a devotional I didn't, hadn't planned. I just saw it today. It was actually yesterday's devotional. But I get a devotional from Pastor Jim Cimbala. And yesterday's devotional was, hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. He says, one Tuesday while kneeling in my usual spot during our noon prayer meeting, I heard a woman's voice to my left. Her head was, on her, was in her hands. She was praying softly. But something about the way she prayed caught my attention. She was talking to God as if he stood five feet away. You know, Lord, I'm going to lose that boy to the world. She prayed through her tears. She started quietly at first, but as her pleading grew stronger, her voice became louder. I'm going to lose him to the gangs unless you come and help me. I can't do it myself. I could hear the desperation in her prayer. She cried out to God with all the urgency of a heartbroken mom. You've got to do something, God. You've got to do something. I could hear everything she said. You know his father's dead and gone, she, re she reasoned. There was a pause, and although I couldn't see her face, I could hear her weeping. I'm all alone trying to raise him. And you know all the voices out there calling to him. God, you have to help me. Her tone was so bold, sincere, heartfelt, and intimate. If you don't help me, no one can. Her prayer moved me deeply. I reached out over over and put my hand on her heaving shoulder and joined her in intercession for her son. Prayer is the way that we pour out our hearts to God. Not every time we pray will be that emotional. But there are times when the distress in our hearts lead us to call out to the living God. 
God, if you don't do something, I'm not going to make it. David, in the time of the kings of Israel, prayed to the Lord and wrote this in Psalm 4.3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. I don't know how that makes you feel. But God sets apart those who trust in him for himself. And he hears you when you call out to him. He would write, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Fast forward to the prophets. Daniel is a prophet. He's in exile. After the kings, the period of the kings, uh, the northern tribe is, is conquered by Assyria, the southern by Babylon. Daniel is one of those who are in exile, taken away. King Darius had signed a document for, forbidding anyone from petitioning any god or person other than the king for the next 30 days. You know the story. And the Bible says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It was a priority in his life. It was a pattern in his life. There's a beautiful prayer in Nehemiah. After the, the, the time of their exile had ended, uh, a remnant of people started to go back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah is serving in, as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And he gets word from some of those that had gone there and returned. And he says, how are the people doing? What's going on? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. The walls are all broken down. The people are in deep distress. There's all kind of chaos. And he begins to weep. And call out to God and say, oh God, you promised to bring us back. What? But now there's all this trouble and he's pouring out his heart to God. And he goes in to carry out his duties before King Artaxerxes. He brings him the wine. And King Artaxerxes notices that he's upset. And that was not a good thing to do when you came before the king. The king might interpret that to be you're upset with him. And in those days that could just mean that. <laughs> you're gone. But then Nehemiah, the king, says, what, why are you so downcast? What's going on? He says, my people, they're in deep distress. And then it says this. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Listen, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I might rebuild it. It's interesting. When the king says, what do you want to do? What are you requesting of me? He didn't get down on his knees and start praying. He's in his heart, he's going, oh God, help me. Help me to say the right. King, send me back. It was just in that split moment, as life was happening, he just called out. He didn't have time to go pray or go, let me pray and come back to you, king. Oh God, he said it prayed in his heart. I think this is what the closest explanation to pray without ceasing means. I mean, who hasn't thought to that verse, pray without ceasing, how could we do that? I mean, I've got to go to work, I've got to do... But it's not, it's not that it's not continuous, but it's like it just happens regularly throughout the day. It's like a persistent cough. You know how you get a persistent cough? You have a cold? And it's, like, it's not like it's like one 24-hour cough. I mean, 
I mean, you better get to the hospital, you know, if that's the case. But what is it? You cough, and then you go a little bit, and then you have to cough, and you go a little bit. That's kind of the spirit of praying without ceasing. In other words, throughout the day, there's just moments that you're turning to him. You're working at the bank. You're working at the office. Oh, God, I need your help on this. Or something just came to my mind. Or I, this attitude came into me. And I, you go, oh, Lord, that's not right. <laughs> help me with this. Somebody just cut you off in the car. Oh, yeah, okay. It, it, we're, we're different people in the car. <laughs> what happens to us when we get in the car? You know, don't cut me off in the car. But the idea is this, when things start popping up, Lord, that attitude's not right, help me with this. Or I need wisdom for this, or this is coming at me. We get to the New Testament, and of course the life of Jesus stands out to us. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, but also the Son of Man, often prayed. It says in the scripture, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus often withdrew, Luke says, to lonely places and prayed. It really impressed his disciples because they turned to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't it interesting? They didn't say, Lord, teach us to tell stories like you do. Man, I love the way you preach. I love how you, how, where do you get all these parables and all these stories? Where, teach us how to do that. I want to be able to, now, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they saw in Jesus a humility, a dependence, an empowerment that came from God as he prayed. And Jesus was so passionate about prayer that one of the strangest scenes in the Bible happens over the issue of prayer. Jesus, the meek and the lowly, the humble, can you picture him coming into the temple, seeing money changers there, beginning to yell at them, get out of here! And start to overturn. Can you imagine? I mean, if somebody came in the church and threw the pulpit over and told me to get out of here. I mean, it's, it's so out of the character of Jesus, but Jesus was so passionate. And he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of robbers. A house of prayer. The atmosphere of our meetings is to be prayer. In other words, there has to be a turning to God in our meetings. I plan an order of service every week. But listen, we'll never be blessed through an order of service. I mean, there's good things that we plan, but unless we connect with God, what are we doing here? If we don't connect with him today, if I don't connect with him, I'll just dry up. I'll just shrivel up. Because there's nothing humanly here that will feed me unless he comes. You've made it a den of robbers when it, the atmosphere is to be prayer. And because the Bible says in the, under the new covenant that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, what do you think the atmosphere of our lives should be? He was speaking of the physical temple when you come here. But, but we're the temple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of anyone who truly believes in him. He's saying the atmosphere of your life and my life 
should be a calling out to God. Prayer. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it says in Acts 2.42, teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and what else did they devote themselves to? Prayer. That was their activity. And as they prayed, God moved. Of the church at Antioch, in the book of Acts, it says that the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I like this quote of, of Hudson Taylor, the 19th century British missionary to China. He spent 51 years telling people about Jesus in China. He says, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. There are so many New Testament references, I could not name them all today. I'll name four. Paul says to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He wrote to the church, uh, the Colossian church, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To Timothy, his friend, he said, first of all, I'm sorry I'm being so gross up here. I'm just, just so moved by this. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then last week as Pastor Dan was preaching, I don't know if you noticed this in, in the imagery of uh, Revelation 5, but it said golden bowls were full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. How precious that your prayers rise up to God. They're so precious to him. He keeps them in bowls, not literally. But what I'm saying is they're always before his presence. I love that. No wonder one of the core values of the Christian Missionary Alliance, in fact, it's not really just an alliance value, it's the value of the scripture, is that prayer is the primary work of God's people. It's the primary work. It, what should we be about? People are always looking for the will of God for their lives. Well, how about praying? How about turning to God in prayer to start with? That's the primary work you can do. I want to close by just uh, telling a story uh, that's found in the Bible that I find amazing and that I find motivational. And I hope it will bring motivation to you to pray. Okay? It's found in Acts chapter 10. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. It's about two men named Peter and Cornelius, and they couldn't be more diverse in their backgrounds. Peter is the Jewish fisherman, become disciple of Jesus, become the apostle of Jesus Christ, and Cornelius is a soldier. An Italian soldier centurion. That means he, he has uh, oversees 100 soldiers. And two men with these vast backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, their lives are about to intersect in Acts 10, and it never would have happened unless they were praying. Let me share it with you real quick. Uh, Acts 10, starting verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? I love it. This is, not, uh, this is a commander of 100 Roman soldiers standing there in terror 
And I just love when people encounter the living God in any way he reveals himself. There's just, oh. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius is what they call uh, in this New Testament period a God-fearer. He's sensitive to, he's a seeker of the God of the Jews, but he has not converted to Judaism. He has not been circumcised. He, he has not become a believer in the sense of knowing all of, the, of what it means to be a covenant person before God. But he's a God-fearer, and he's praying to God. And God meets him, and he receives direction from God as he's a man of prayer. I meant to say that I wasn't trying to be spiritual, that it didn't come out right. Prayer. (laughs) I was crossed between pray and something else. He was a man of prayer. And I want to give you an application here. People who pray receive direction from the Lord. People who pray receive direction from the Lord. When it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Part of what that means to trust in the Lord is to pray to him. Pray to him. Worship him. And he's going to make your path straight. And he got all this from praying. Send men to Joppa. Bring Simon Peter back to your house. He's staying with another guy named Simon. He's a tanner. He lives by the sea. He got all that because he prayed. And look what's going on now in Peter's life as those men that he sent are are sent. It says the next day, as they, the men that Cornelius sent, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. This is noon. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, bringing, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. These are all unclean, ceremonially unclean animals to the Jewish person. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. Those words don't seem to go very good, does it? When the Lord's speaking to you, no, Lord, by no means. Usually we should say, yes, Lord. (laughs) But he's saying it because, he says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up to heaven. And the story goes on, as Peter was pondering this, the men arrive, and the Holy Spirit says to him, you know, three men are looking for you. Go down, go with them. I've sent them. Go with them. And so he comes down and he, he greets these men and says, what do you want? And Cornel- he said, the men say, well, listen, Cornelius, a centurion who's this upright and godly man, he sent us to you. And he saw a vision from an angel asking that you would come to his house and explain to him the things of God. Now, by this time, do you think Peter knows that something's up? <laughs> Three Gentiles show up at his house saying, come up to 
Caesarea to meet this Roman centurion. God is, he's seen a vision from God, and Peter, of course, obeys. In verse 23, it says, the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter goes and takes some other Jewish guys with him. And he enters into uh, Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. Uh Uh-oh. He's not going to slip in with just Cornelius. Now there's a whole house full of Gentiles. And as he talked to them, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me. How did he show them? As a result of prayer. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. I'll let you read the rest of the story, but it's amazing. Uh, Peter starts to preach Jesus. He says he's the Lord of all. We were eyewitnesses of what he did, the miracles he did. They crucified him, but he was raised from the dead. He appeared not to everybody, but to those of us who believed in him. I'm a witness of that, Cornelius. And then he says this word, he said this, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone. Everyone. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, anyone. And as he's saying those words, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They're believing in their hearts what Peter is telling them. And they are saved, filled with the Spirit. They're baptized. It's amazing. I, I just want to close with these applications. When God wanted to fulfill his promise of salvation to the Gentiles, he chose to accomplish his work through two men who were praying. He could have done it any way he wanted to do it. What if Cornelius wasn't a praying man? I believe he would have, would God still have reached out to the Gentiles? Absolutely. He's going to always accomplish his purposes. But I think maybe Cornelius would have missed it. Would Peter have ever gone to the house of a Gentile to preach Jesus to them had he not been praying? Maybe God would have found another way. But something is striking me here that that if we will not pray, we're missing something. Will every day be a revelation from God? No. Will every time we pray, I mean, I wonder how many days Cornelius prayed before this angel came, before there were some, but he just prayed. He prayed. He prayed. He reverenced God. Maybe God will work in just providential, everyday little ways that will show you what he wants from you. Maybe he'll direct you, but he will direct you, and he will accomplish his work. The most exciting thing in the world, I think, what keeps me going, is that God, the eternal God of the universe, would want to use a piano player, or a banker, or a school teacher, or a homemaker, whatever, that he would want to use us in his work. I don't want to miss that. I don't want Hope Church to miss that. But we have to pray. 
Because God chooses to work through praying people. That's why the enemy of our souls wants to frustrate prayer. Haven't you found it hard to pray? It's hard to pray. The battle is, he find, I think Satan has the, he has chosen the battleground is prayer. Go ahead, have your worship time. Go ahead, sing. Go ahead, listen to sermons, but don't pray. Oh, whatever you do, don't pray. Go ahead and have your kids' ministry. Have women's ministry. Have your breakfasts. Have, I'm not putting all those things down, okay? I'm really not. But Satan says, don't pray. Don't pray. Because he knows that God meets us in prayer. He knows God meets us in prayer. We're going to pray this Wednesday night. Trust me, Wednesday's going to be awful for you. <laughs> if, you're, if you're deciding to come and pray. I don't mean it that way. I don't know. I'm just saying you'll be distracted. <laughs> I'm trying to be real here. There's some weeks I don't want to come Wednesday night. I'm the pastor. <laughs> I'm just being real. And I mean, I want to come. You know what I mean? In my heart of hearts. But there's, oh, I'm tired. Or, oh, I have this. Or, oh, will God meet us? Well, I just encouraged. What if we had the attitude, oh, God, what would you do if we just prayed to you? Who would you connect me with? What are you going to do today? In my, isn't that a more exciting way to live? I head, I head out to the day. I don't know who's going to. You know, I had somebody come to the office and just come in. To, I hadn't seen them for a long time. And they came in and encouraged me and prayed with me. And I said, I've just been praying. And somebody came. Somebody brought encouragement to me. What, God wants to use all of us. You, you all have a vast reach of people in your sphere of influence. And what would God do if we got up every day and said, God, use me today. I'm here for you. I want to lead me to who, who should I talk to today? When we're walking up, just make me sensitive to opportunities you have for me. Let me pray. Let me have an atmosphere of prayer in my life, even when I'm at the job. Let me have an atmosphere of prayer. Be joyful in hope. Paul wrote to the Romans. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful or constant in prayer. Corey Ten Boom, uh, I came across a couple quotes and I end with this. The more I pray, she says, the more coincidences happen. And she said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You just pull prayer out when the flats come in life? How long has it been? Since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets. Worship team, would you come? Worship team. How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? It's an old, old song, Mosey Lister. How long has it been since you knelt by your bed and prayed to the Lord up in heaven? How long since you knew that he'd answer you and would keep you the long night through? 
How long has it been since you woke with the dawn and felt that the day's worth the living? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? I would be remiss if we just went on and just closed the service. We have to pray. We just have to pray. So I'm just going to ask uh, Dan and Joe. Thank you, Joe, for being here today. He's helping us on viola today. They're going to play softly. Would you take just a few moments just to pray to God? Pray to the God in heaven right where you're at. If you want to come and kneel, you can. You don't have to. There's some seats here, but maybe pour out your heart to God. Let him know what's on your heart today, what you need. Tell him you love him. Tell him you want to live 2019 in his presence more. I want to live a more supernatural life. I I want a, a closeness with God that can only happen in prayer. Take just a few moments and then we'll sing this song together.